right, James chapter 4, from verse 6. But he gives more grace. Isn't that wonderful? God gives us more grace, more grace, greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Uh, last time I preached, and I just want to really recommend, if you weren't here last week and you didn't hear Petri's message on entering the rest of God, the Sabbath rest of God, that you get online and you listen to the, the podcast, podcast. It was a total blessing, fantastic encouragement to us, and I really want to encourage you, if you missed last week, that you do that. And that I really want to encourage you in general to use the podcast if you can't make a Sunday meeting, because we are trying to preach in a systematic way, and if you don't, if you miss out on something, you might not understand where we're going, and um, it would be helpful if you do miss a meeting to get the podcast. All right. So last time I preached, I had a look at the thing of what it means to submit to God, and um, that was out of, we've been studying James for 18 months now, and this portion in chapter 4 really is James enlarging on one of three themes that he's been enlarging on in the whole book, all right? And he, he talks about true spirituality, and he says this is what true spirituality is. And just to ref- refresh your memories, he says, first of all, that true spirituality is learning to control your tongue, learning how to speak with patience, to speak with compassion, uh, he says that's a mark of true spirituality, and he explored that in chapter 1, verse 26, and chapter 3. And then secondly, he said true spirituality, a mark of true spirituality, is showing compassion to the poor. And uh, we had a look at that in detail, and that also was in chapter 1, verse 27, and he expands on it in chapter 2. And this is the third point that he's kind of been enlarging in chapter 4, and that is how to keep yourself unstained from the world. That's what he said. And so he started talking and rebuking his friends and saying, you're adulterers, you're having this affair with the world, you're kissing the world, and and how can you expect to be intimate with Jesus when you're intimate with the world? And I had a look at that over a number of weeks. And really what he is doing here is enlarging on this theme of being unstained from the world. And and, in this these two things that I looked at one last time about submitting to God, and today I want to look at resisting the devil. How many of you want to learn how to resist the devil in your life? Okay, well, I do, and he has, he has very practical, uh, practical advice that James gives us. So he begins chapter 4 by saying there's greater grace that God gives give to us, and just to, to refresh your memory again, it's not saving grace. It's, we know that we're saved by grace. <laughs> But he talks about greater grace, and the Revised Standard Version actually uses that phrase, greater grace. In other words, grace that comes to those that are obedient. There's an extra measure of grace that God gives us to live our lives and to live by His Spirit as we walk in obedience. And so, I am a person who believes the preaching of the gospel. I believe Jesus is all that is required. And uh, we only have to believe on the cross and we are saved. And now, if you preach that kind of gospel historically... Uh, some people have accused people who preach that gospel of being antinomian. And that's a fancy word for meaning that if you preach that kind of gospel, you don't care how people live because they're saved by grace, that you're not too worried how they live. I want to say that's not the gospel that I preach. <laughs> and secondly, if you, if you think that's what I'm saying, you haven't really understood the gospel. Because when you fully understand the gospel and the gospel transforms you from the inside out, you care very much how you live. And you want to obey Jesus out of love for Him. What I've been trying to get us to understand is that we don't obey Jesus out of fear of punishment. 
We don't, we don't give finances out of fear that our washing machine is going to break down if we don't tithe. We give out of love for Jesus. And it's a completely different motivation. It's completely different. The one is legalistic, and I've never seen a happy legalistic person. Never. But I have seen joyful Christians who respond to the grace of God in their lives, and, and, and they just love Jesus, and they are transformed from the inside out. It is a very different thing. So I am not preaching a gospel that says, I don't care how you live. I care very much how you live. You hear what I'm saying? But we, the way we encourage each other to live lives that please Jesus is not out of legalism. It's not putting rules on people. It's getting people to fall in love with Christ. And when they are in love with Christ, they will serve Him. So last time I preached, I talked about this thing of submitting to God. And I said to you that it's not a passive thing. The word used there was hypotasi, which is a Greek word, which is an active thing. It says, it's, uh, it, James is saying it's like we have an active allegiance to the banner of Christ in our lives. And so we willingly give ourselves to Him, actively submitting to His Lordship in our lives. It's not a passive thing. It's a very active thing. And I said to you, it's not always pleasant to submit it's not always easy to submit. It means that we have to embrace difficult things in our lives. Wasn't that a fantastic testimony this morning? Trusting for 15 years for breakthrough, for having a baby, and then it came. If you believe the gospel, you have to persevere through some difficult things, and then Jesus does release in his time. Uh, if you're a Christian, it doesn't mean you can have an easy, easy life, all right? And that's a, a gospel that we've bought into as, as, as modern uh, Western Christians, that somehow it must all go well with us, and that's a sign of God's blessing. And if you're having a tough time, somebody, you know, God doesn't love you anymore. It is absolute nonsense. That is a prosperity gospel. It's not the true gospel of Jesus. And so I said we need to embrace those things of God's refinement in our lives. Guys, are you going to stay or are you going to go? Please, make up your minds quickly. Thank you. If you want to stay, stay. Yeah, I'm having to be the disciplinarian this morning. I don't like it. So we embrace God's refinement in our lives. And that's not always easy. That's what I'm saying. And it means that we believe, Romans 8.28, that God works all things together for good for those that love Him. I believe that passionately. It's one of the anthems of my heart. God makes all things work together for good for those. And that means we have to bow graciously under the sovereign hand of God and say, Lord, you are God in heaven. Here I am on earth. You understand everything perfectly. I don't. I choose to stop fighting with you, and I choose to embrace your will for my life. All right? And so that's what I tried to encourage you with last time. And moving on from that. Oh, the other thing I said out of that was, if we, if we, if we start to understand that, we can have everlasting joy in our lives. Remember? Everlasting joy, and I, I try to use the example of David and how David messed so many things up, but in the end, God loved Solomon, his son, and the lineage of, of Jesus. We see that, that David is and still, the Messiah comes through the lineage of David, and even there it recognizes that he messed up with Bathsheba. God doesn't try and cover things up, but he makes all things work together for good for those that love him. Amen. And so now James is saying here is something that we need to anticipate, every single one of us that has submitted our lives to Jesus, you need to anticipate this thing. 
And he's making it clear. He uses it like a sentence. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I want to start by saying this. We have to anticipate that if we have submitted our hearts and our lives to the devil, the devil is not, uh, to, to the devil, to Jesus, the devil is not going to like it. That's what James is trying to say. If you've submitted your life, if you've submitted your heart, the devil is going to come against you. But, he says, resist the devil and he will flee. And that's the good news. You know, Jonathan Edwards was a great revivalist, a great evangelist, a great theologian in America. And he said this. He said, when the church is revived, so is the devil. He's right. I've read revival stories. I mean, we, we like all the revival stuff, you know. I mean, but John Wesley was pelted with dung. John Wesley was pelted with de- dead animals while he was preaching and there was revival. People, the devil gets mad when revival comes. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? And so the devil does get mad, and we mustn't be taken unaware by that. That's what James is saying. And I think, as we begin to understand that God wants us to grow in grace, remember I used that thing a couple of weeks ago, this is how we transition from walking in, in the flesh to walking by the Spirit. In other words, it's, uh, as we grow up, we stop be- being baby Christians, and we start to be strong Christians. As we start to make this transition, we have to come to terms with the fact that the devil is going to oppose us. He's going to try and discourage us. And I want to just say to you straight up this morning, the devil is not afraid of what you say you believe. Remember, James already told us in James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that God is one, well done, he said to his friends. You believe that God is one, well done. Even the devils believe that and shudder. That's what he says. He says, it's no big deal to believe in Jesus. The devil believes in Jesus. It hasn't changed the devil's life. It doesn't motivate him to live differently. What James says really gets up the devil's nose is when we are obedient, when we start to live differently, that gets up the devil's nose. And that's what he's warning us about. It's when we show that we are God's people by how we live that the devil gets mad. It's when we begin to kick in the darkness in our lives and say, I refuse to be worldly anymore, that the devil doesn't like that and he starts to try and discourage us. It's when we do start to be salt and light, the devil doesn't like that, and that's when he opposes us. The devil doesn't care what you believe. The devil wants you to be a Christian and inactive. If he can keep you a Christian and inactive, he's done a good job. He doesn't want you to obey. And I love good theology. It's wonderful that we understand what the Word says. But actually, what the devil doesn't like, most of all, is when you start to make some changes in your life, and when I start to make some changes in my life, and when the kingdom starts to come in me and I begin to live differently, he doesn't like that. That's why sometimes as a Christian you have a hard time. Isn't that right? I said this before. When you first get saved, it's like everything is so simple. And it's like God speaks to you and you hear him clear. And then suddenly you walk a number of years and suddenly it's not so simple anymore. And suddenly you feel like there is opposition and you have to, you have to exercise faith in a way that you didn't have to exercise faith when you were first saved. Remember, God treats us as, as his gentle children at the beginning and then he encourages us to walk and says, okay, I'm going to help you now. And now you're going to walk on your own, and now you're going to stand, and now you're going to run, and I'm going to be with you, but you're going to have to do some stuff. And that's the difference. So I want to suggest to you this morning, I don't want to suggest to you, I want to say to you this morning, that when we start to follow Jesus, truly follow Jesus, we take on the biggest fight that we're ever going to take on in our lives. And our lives, sometimes it is like pushing a big boulder up a hill, 
and we have to accept that that's part of the Christian walk. That we've got to learn to exercise our faith muscles. We've got to learn to get some stamina. We've got to learn to get some perseverance as we walk with Jesus. So James is saying, don't be surprised when you, when you uh, submit your life to Jesus that the devil gets mad, all right? But this is the second positive thing that he says to us. The first positive thing is, submit to God. The second positive thing is, remember I said there are ten of them. The second one is, resist the devil. Now I want to encourage you this morning that all of us would learn to resist the devil. And so the first thing I want to say is, be aware that there are going to be obstacles put in your way. Don't be surprised when obstacles are put in your way. The devil will try and demoralize you. He'll try and convince you that walking with Jesus is just too much trouble. It's too hard. It's not worth it. He will try and convince you that your obedience is not such a big deal. He'll try and convince you and say, well, you're saved anyway. You're under the blood. Being obedient is not really such a big deal. It's only those fanatics, you know, those real fanatics that get into the thing of being obedient and wanting to please God in all of their lives. You just rest in the fact that you're saved, that you're under the blood, that you're going to heaven, and just relax and have a good time. That's the first thing the devil will try and say. And he'll often try and trick us by thinking, getting us to think that things that happen, uh, God is causing these things. And he, he'll, he'll say things to you like, well, it can't possibly be God because if, it, if, it can't be, if it's difficult, it can't be God. I mean, it must be easy to be God. The other thing the devil will do is try and keep you locked into one aspect of Christian truth. For example, I've said already, I believe, I believe passionately that we are saved by grace alone. And so many Christians camp at the cross and try and convince themselves that all we need to enjoy in our lives, all we need to be aware of is that we are righteous in Christ and that's all that we need to enjoy. And so they camp at the cross and they camp in the grace kind of message and they never move on. And we need something else. I believe passionately in the gospel. Not, not diminishing that at all. We need to learn from church history. You remember the, the, the Reformation and Luther had this great revelation. He came back to Romans and Galatians and he understood that we were saved by grace alone. You know what happened over a period of time is that the Lutheran movement got so stuck in the doctrine of justification that we are saved by grace that they forgot, they started to become worldly Christians and they forgot that God actually required them to walk by the Holy Spirit. So you know what happened? There was a guy called von Zinzendorf, Count von Zinzendorf, and he was a Moravian. Have you heard of the Moravians? They were part of the German pietist movement. And what they said was, actually, it doesn't matter how we live. Of course, we're saved by grace, but it matters how we live. And so the whole pietist movement grew out of a reaction of people just saying, well, I'm saved, and it's okay, and I don't need to do anything else. You hear what I'm saying? We've got to learn from church history. I believe passionately in the grace of God. I want to preach the grace of God every opportunity I have. But I'm saying to you, at the same time, God offers us that, that extra, um, greater grace. And he says, will you choose to obey me? And it's available to you as you walk with me. It's both. So let's not become worldly. Let's not just camp at the cross. There's a living obedience that God wants in our lives. I was just thinking, you know, it's, um, remember Acts chapter 10, when Paul first gets saved, how easy it is for him 
God just says to him, speaks to him and says, well, you just need to go, you're going to find this guy called Cornelius. He t- tells him exactly where he needs to go. He speaks to Cornelius and he says, you're going to meet this guy, Paul. And it's, it's like God makes everything so easy and it just happens like that when, when Paul's first saved. <laughs> but then you, you read 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 18 later in Paul's life and Paul says this, I wanted to come to you, our Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered me. And so suddenly now, later in his life, Paul's realizing, you know, God doesn't always speak like that. Sometimes there's some opposition. And he goes on in 2 Timothy verse 1, at the end of his life, just before he's uh, about to die, he says this, Paul says this, May the Lord grant me to the, um, sorry, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of one Sephorus, for he refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly until he found me. It's like God didn't help once the forest to find Paul. He had to do some stuff. He had to exercise some faith. He had to say, God, I don't know where Paul is, but I'm going to find him. I'm going to keep on walking till I find him. You hear what I'm saying? It's not just always so simple. And we, we, we babies, if we just want milk all the time, God speak to me, write it on the wall. He does that sometimes. But sometimes he says, my son, Grow. I'm going to help you walk now. I'm going to help you to hear my voice. You need to learn from my word and start to get some substance in you, and you can do this. He's always there to encourage us. And I trust my my passion doesn't come across as um, condemnation. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. You hear what I'm saying? So, what helps us to resist the devil? Can I suggest a number of things this morning? One, a prior commitment to obey helps you to resist the devil. What happens when all the circumstances of your life converge and make it hard for you to obey Jesus? What do you do then? Well, I want to suggest to you the thing that helps you to get through those situations is when you've made a prior commitment to obey Jesus, no matter how hard it is. Because then you don't look at the circumstance. He said earlier, James said, God resists the proud. Do you know what resist means, quite simply? It simply means that God ignores the proud. He ignores them. It's like they're not in the room, proud people. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit is in a room, he just bypasses all the proud people and he says, those that are humble, I'm going to lavish myself upon. Those that are proud, I'm ignoring. That's what, it, that's what it means. And so the best way for us to resist temptation in our lives is to ignore it. You turn and you go in the opposite direction. You are helped in that process by making a prior commitment to follow Jesus. Guys, I've said this before. Let me say it again. When you are alone at night and it's after midnight and you go on the computer and you visit that site that you know you shouldn't visit, it's no good at that stage to, to, pray, to, to, to uh, pray and say, Jesus, help me, lead me not into temptation. You are ready right there. The best thing for you to do is to run the opposite way. The best thing is not to get on the computer. In fact, I want to say this, if your computer is a problem, throw it away until you can get got some self-control. Oh, that's radical, and Yes, it's radical. <laughs> am, I, am I trying to beat you up? No, I'm not. I'm just saying do whatever is necessary to walk the other way. That's how you resist temptation. You go from here and you say, I'm going that way. I've made a prior commitment in my life to obey Jesus, and that means I'm walking this way. That's how we start 
to enable grace to function in our lives. Every opportunity, every, every time the devil attacks us, it's a very strange thing. It's a mixture. All trials and temptations that we go through are this mixture of God's sovereign hand over our lives and the attack of the devil. God sovereignly allows some, some things that we have to walk through. And it's a great opportunity every time we are presented with one of these challenges. It's a great opportunity for us to allow grace to function in our lives. For grace to transform us, to grow positively. And I want to say, for me, that is the greatest testimony of the story of Job. I know for many, some people, the story of Job is very contentious. I want to say the, the, the mega theme, the great narrative of Job, of, of Job is the whole thing God allowed by his sovereign hand, and the, certainly the devil did attack at the same time. But the important thing is that the way Job responded transformed his life. That's the important thing. And I want to say to you, and I want to say to myself, the way that we react to situations, the way that we choose to respond, is going to mean either we're growing positively as, as Christians, or we are shrinking back and not growing positively as Christians. And so, here James, I, I mean, notice that his language, he says, resist the devil. That's a, that's a defensive mechanism. I'm not suggesting that you attack the devil. Anyone who tries to attack the devil is a fool. We're not instructed to attack the devil. We are instructed in this order to submit to God and to resist the devil. That's a different thing. Okay? You might think that you're strong enough to take on the devil in a certain area of temptation in your life. My friend, you are not. None of us are. First, submit to God. Then turn the other way and flee from that thing, like David did. When Potiphar's wife came into his into his house, what did he do? He turned around and he ran. You get out of there. That's how you resist temptation. You don't flirt with it. <laughs> I actually think this is good news. And remember, people are not the problem. The devil might use people to hurt us, upset us. But the real issue is who is behind the person Remember, Ephesians 6, 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers of this present age, and against the, pres- the spiritual forces of evil. That's who we're wrestling about. It's not, we're with. it's not people. People are not the problem. People are used in negative ways, but they're not the problem. So here are two strategies that the devil uses, and I've only got two, right? So it won't be long. Two strategies. The one is found in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, and it says this. Paul writing to Corinthian church, he says, Don't wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's the first thing we have to be aware of. The devil comes as an angel of light. Secondly, 1 Peter 5, 8 says this. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a, around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The New Testament uses those two images, one of an angel of light and one as a roaring lion. And I want to look at them quickly with you. This place of of the devil coming as an angel of light is really where he starts. He tries to get all of us off guard. Um, And we are most easily caught off guard when we fail to see the devil coming as an angel of light. You know why? Because if we saw the devil, uh, the devil is rage, the devil is anger, the devil is malice, the devil is evil. If you saw that coming against you, you would resist it, wouldn't you? So that's why he disguises himself as an angel of light to to, to distract you so that you don't see his anger, that you don't see his malice, so that you don't see the evil intention that he has for you. There's nothing good in the devil, right? 
The devil comes to rob, kill, and destroy. That's what the Bible says. That is his motivation. He comes to trick you to think that that is not his motivation. That is his motivation. To try and kill, rob, and destroy in your life. And so he'll come as an angel of light. He'll come to try and distract you and say that actually what he is presenting it really is true and actually it's not what God has that matters. And so there are three ways I want to give you this morning. One, sometimes the devil comes as an angel of light through highly respected people in our lives. I've seen this over and over and over. Young Christians getting led astray by Christians that they respect. That actually they admire this person. So they, th- they say, well, if that, it's okay for that person, it must mean that's okay. And no, actually it's not. It's a distraction. Actually, that person is being disobedient, and you might respect them, and you might love them, but what their life is reflecting is not the words, not the Scripture, and therefore it is not God that you are seeing in that. It's a distraction. It's the devil distracting you. Don't be fooled. Secondly, I've already mentioned this, a one-sided emphasis of Christian doctrine. Let's not get distracted by that. Thirdly, through circumstances. And so... How do we recognize the devil coming as an angel of light? This is the key for me. Everything the devil does comes from lies. Everything the devil comes, he's the father of all lies. Why do I say that? Because Jesus says that in John 8, 44. He says, you are like your father, the devil, and you, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand for the truth because there's no truth in him. There's no truth in the devil. When he lies, he speaks out of his nature. It is the devil's nature to lie. It is his character to distort. It is his character to try and lead you astray. That's what his character is. For he is a liar, says Jesus, and he is the father of every lie. And lies always mitigate against the truth of God. Right at the beginning, what did the devil do? He came to Eve and he lied to her. What did he say? No, you've misunderstood God. That's not really what's important. I've got the answer. Basically, that's what he says. And he's continued to lie to God's people ever since that moment. He'll lie to you if he can, and he'll lie to me. We have to be sharp. And I've found this in my life, that the way to recognize the devil's lie in my life is that I always feel oppressed. Have you ever had that experience? You just know there's a spiritual oppression on your life. God never oppresses you. Even God's discipline, even the teaching of God never oppresses you, and it never oppresses me. Why? Because James has already told us that the wisdom that is from heaven is pure, peaceable, gentle, full of grace, full of truth. That's the wisdom from heaven. So even when God corrects us, we never feel oppressed. Sometimes you might have been sitting here and uh, you found the sermon hard or or something like that. You know, when I've sat under the Word and it's really challenged me, I never feel oppressed. I always feel God's kindness, even though the message might be hard, I still feel God's kindness in my life that He cares and loves me enough that He wants me to change. There have been other times in my life when I'm left with an overwhelming feeling of oppression. And I want to say to you, if you feel oppressed, then know it's the source is not Jesus. The source is not the kindness of God. It's the devil. James puts it like this in James 3.14. 
If you have bitter jealousy and self-ambition in your heart, do not be boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from ab- down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Where in that, that sense of un- just tension in your heart, and that you just know it doesn't feel, you've got to trust the Holy Spirit in your life. He never makes you feel like that. That's when you resist. Say, no, this is not from you, Jesus. This is from the devil. Are you with me? So for me, this prior commitment to obey to God, no matter how difficult it is, is the greatest deterrent to the devil's schemes. And that will help us through every single trial. I was thinking, you know, uh, Daniel, Daniel 3.16, when they say, bow down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar, it says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O king, we have no need to answer you on this matter. They had a prior commitment in their hearts already. They said, we don't even have to answer you on this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, he has the price. If not, let it be known to you, king, that we will not serve your gods and will not worship this golden image that you've set up. They did not have to pray about it. They did not have to decide about it. It was already a prior commitment in their hearts to to obey God, whatever the cost, even if it meant going into the furnace. Are you with me? That's how we resist the devil. There are some things we do not need to pray about. I've had this thing in ministry about young couples. Uh, Is it okay for us to sleep together before we get married? You, You don't have to pray about that. You don't have to go and say, I'm going to pray about it with my partner to see if it's okay. That's the devil. God has told you already. You don't have to pray about things like that. You keep yourself for your spouse. If you at this time are sleeping with someone who's not your spouse, I want to say to you, repent. That's it. Don't pray about it. You don't have to pray about anything. There needs to be a prior commitment into your heart to follow Christ and in my heart. Okay. And then the second way that the devil comes is like a roaring lion. Like a roaring lion. I uh, watched the program last night. Um, I have this thing for nature programs, and I like um, National Geographic. And there was this program on this, this uh, super pride of lions in the, in the Kruger National Park. And man, when they feed around a carcass, 14 or 15 lions, it is not a nice thing to see. It is, it is malicious. It is, it, is, it is absolutely animalistic. It is, it is fierce. It is, I don't know how to even find the words to describe what I want to say. But if you watch any nature program, you can see there's a raw kind of uh, aggression in a lion. Yeah? And you see, when the devil can't deceive you anymore as an angel of light, he comes like a roaring lion. This is where we have to be wise. Remember 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, Do not be outwitted by Satan. Do not be ignorant about his schemes. The devil has a number of schemes in our lives to try and distract us and get, get to us. And so when he can't come anymore as an angel of light and deceive you, he comes like a roaring lion. He comes, there's nothing subtle about it. He comes shouting. He comes to intimidate you. He comes to make you feel afraid. He comes screaming in your ear. I I know what that is. There's nothing subtle about it. He tries to terrify you. 
And why does he try and terrify you? Because he wants you to think that the battle is over before it is. And that's a, it's a lie. He comes to roar at you and make you afraid so that you give up before you've even started. And James says to us, resist the devil. A lion, roaring lion, can make a terrifying noise. And what it's trying to do is to scare you to believe that you are defeated before you've even begun to fight, that it's useless to resist. That's why lions roar. And the devil is trying to say to you, it's useless to resist me. Give up now. The root of it is still a lie. The lie is that the battle is over before it's even begun. And the truth is that the Scripture says, greater is he that is in you than the roaring lion that is in the world. Do you believe it? And remember it says the devil is seeking someone to devour. He hasn't yet devoured anyone. He's seeking someone to devour. I have experienced in in ministry over the years, I have experienced this personally. I have been physically ill. I have been left trembling after a meeting with people because they've tried to intimidate me so much. That's the roaring lion. I know it. I've learned to identify it now. Sometimes it can be the, it can be the sweetest of women, the quietly spoken one, and you just feel you enter the room and there's this thing that comes on you and you start shaking and I feel it in my stomach. I know it's the roaring lion. It's the devil come, using people to try and intimidate. Resist him. That's the lion's roar. Learn to recognize it. He's trying to get you to think that you've already lost the battle. He's trying to get you to respond with bad behavior. And when, he's resp- when you respond with bad behavior, he's got you. Then he's devoured you. You with me? Resist him. Someone might say something in the office this week that is cutting. Someone might say something at the school that is hurtful. Something, your family might say something to you that really upsets you. That's the lion's roar trying to get you to react. Resist him. <laughs> Resist him. Perhaps you get, you've had some bad family news this, this week and it's got the potential to bring you down. It's the lion's roar. Resist him. Don't let it get you down. You have not yet lost the battle. You are simply hearing the lion roaring to try and get you to give in. The other thing I found in my life is this. That when I hear the lion roar, it is upsetting. It upsets me. It, it, it uh, upsets my equilibrium emotionally. I feel stressed when I hear the lions roar in my life. I want to say this to you. It's not a sin to feel stressed. <laughs> it's not a sin even to feel upset when you know that the, 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 the lion is roaring. The lion is roaring. The <laughs> lion is roaring. You see, the devil's trying to get you, trick you into thinking that you've already sinned by being stressed. You haven't sinned yet. It's not true. It's another lie. What he wants you to do is out of your stress to lash out and react. That's what he wants you to do. And when you've done that, he's devoured you. He's got you. So we're all affected by the lion's roar. We all get stressed. We all find it upsetting when we hear the lion roar. And the worst reaction we can make is to give in. The difference between the lion's roar and the lion devouring you is the difference between being tempted and giving in to temptation. That's the difference. I want to encourage you, resist. As I encourage myself daily, I need this gospel in my own life every single day to resist him. 
I want to say this to you as I close. Temptation is, not, is a sign of weakness, but it's not a sin. Temptation is a sign of weakness, but it's not a sin. You see, the devil's purpose is to lie and to tempt you and then get, to get you to try and give in to that temptation. That's what devours. The goal of our lives as Christians is this, to develop godly habits so that we learn not to get upset. To develop godly habits so that we learn not to get upset. As we learn to do that in one area, the devil will come against us in another area. The most obvious sign that you and I are not growing as Christians, the most obvious sign is that we are still being tempted in the same areas that we were years and years ago. If you are still being tempted as you were five years ago, the devil's still got you. He doesn't need to come in another area of your life to distract you because he's got you in that one. Still his prisoner. You hear what I'm trying to say? And so for all of us, when we see the devil coming in a different area of our lives, we should rejoice because he hasn't got us in that one. Now he's got to try something else. Resist him. You see, the, de- the devil had a, t- a hard time with Paul. If you read the story of Paul, you read the story of Jesus in the Gospels, the devil tried many, many things, came from different, different uh, positions, trying to distract, to try and discourage. With most of us, we give in too easily. The devil goes, and we fall over. We have to learn to exercise our will. We need to get a robust will. You know, the more that you exercise a muscle, the law, what, what do they say in gyms? The more you exercise a muscle, the stronger it gets. If you want to get your will strong, learn to exercise it, learn to say no. It gets a little bit stronger. Next time the same temptation comes, no, a little bit stronger. Learn not to react. Learn to say, by your spirit, Jesus, I'm not going to shout. Take it in the moment. A little bit stronger. By your will, Jesus, I'm not going to gossip. Next time you're at the coffee shop and you're tempted to say something, no, don't. A little bit stronger. That's how we get stronger. That's how we learn to resist the devil. And I'm convinced when a church community like this one, when a body of believers starts to live like that and starts to see the real enemy and doesn't take things personally and doesn't get distracted by people, but starts to resist the devil and we are submitted to God, we will start to see revival break out in our lives and in the community. And that's what we're living for. That's what we're living for. Let's be those that no longer walk in the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. And let's encourage each other and help each other to learn to resist the devil in our lives. And that, for me, is why we need each other. That's why we need to be in a small group. That's why we need to be uh, making ourselves accountable to a friend who can stand with us and say, I'm going to help you to resist the devil in this area of your life. Amen?